And now it's time for Anthony's Art Attack. This is Art Attack. This is Art Attack. This is Art Attack. Neil Buchanan, you've got a special place in my heart till the day I die. Just so you know. Love you. Okay. (laughs) I'm Jenna. And I'm Khadija. Welcome to the Ghouls and Galdem podcast. We've created this space for fans of the horror noir film genre that crave nuanced representation and commentary. From the perspectives of Black women, Black storytellers, and Black horror fans who geek out and freak out (laughs) over anything that gets us gooped and spooked. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to season two of the Ghouls and Gildam podcast. And dog, it's been a while, but we're happy to be back here with all of you ghouls and gals. We really are. We missed y'all, but we're here now. So as usual, I want you to make sure that you check the episode description for content and trigger warnings if your head or your heart requires that information. And of course, there will be many spoilers ahead, so clock that too. Because that's what we do here. That's what we do here at the Ghouls and Galdem podcast. We be spoiling these movies for you, but with fun. We ruin it in the best way. But with joy. (laughs) We're ruining it with joy. (laughs) So what are we watching? So we are kicking off season two with a familiar title. Mm-hmm. It's the remake of Candyman. You know, we thought that since we started season one with the original Candyman, we would start season two with the remake and uh, share our perspectives on that. Yeah, you know, out with the old, in with the new. I don't exactly. know how, how do you feel about this movie? I don't know how I feel about this movie, how you guys feel about it, but we'll figure it out as we go along. Exactly. So Candyman 2.0 was released in 2021, a horror thriller, just like the original. Yeah. And we got Jordan Peele on this joint, writing it. We got Wynn Rosenfeld on it. And we got our girl Nia DaCosta. Who not only co-wrote, but also directed the damn thing. Okay. Making history. So before we jump into the plot, we'll tell you a little bit about some of the themes that are explored in Candyman. You know, I would say similar to the original, this movie is a really good opportunity to talk about things like the dangers of prejudice, poverty, Mm -hmm. and how they're linked to gentrification. Generational trauma we got, we got mental health, even like- You know, just some light, light reading, light topics of discussion. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, where do we start? I think we start from the beginning, from the perspective of how we see the beginning now, which is completely different. We are in 1977 Caprini Green. We see this little boy doing his laundry, going through what we didn't see in the first one, because in Caprini Green, like in the original one, it was, you know, the big project, high rises, that kind of thing. But because the history of Caprini Green exceeded itself, And again, with gentrification, what did they do? They tore it all down. But they have a bunch of low-rise units, which, like, 
I didn't know in the States they looked like this because they have a lot of those in Toronto. And also I lived in Ontario housing in Ontario. And like, I was like, oh, didn't know. But then it makes sense because like, why wouldn't you have the same kind of like architecture for low income housing? It looks just like Gerard East. <laughs> like yeah. If you've ever or... seen the music video for Mustafa the Poet, oh, he's so talented. His music video, the first couple that I saw, I feel like were consistently shot just out front of his apartment complex. And it looks almost exact like and then it's it's off of Gerard, I believe. And it looks very similar to the apartment low rise complexes in Cabrini Green in this opening scene. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, rich people made a (laughs) made a blueprint for being poor for everyone. It didn't change. (laughs) Like, thanks for being consistent. Pretty consistently shit. Pretty common. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) So little man is going down to the basement to do his laundry. And on his way there, he walks past some police officers who have a Mm -hmm. wanted sign. They're looking for a predator of some sort. Yeah, we have no idea, but it's someone. Yeah. So little man goes down to do his laundry. And, okay, the most startling thing for me at the beginning of this movie, aside from Uh the police presence, the high police presence in the ghetto, was that massive hole in the wall uh, of the laundry room. And it's, I gotta say, like, you don't see a creepy dark hole in the wall in a horror film and not expect something frightening to come out of that hole, right? No, if nothing comes out of it, then why'd you put it there? You're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> we we put this, we put this in production. So we were just like, yeah, hole. And like, mm. and the other thing I'd like to point out is I didn't notice when the little boy like turned on I didn't know he was turning on the light. I totally forgot. I was like, why is there a timer? And I'm like, oh, yes. Because he's like, I'm only going to be in here for like five minutes. I'm just turn on the light for five minutes, conserve some energy and get the shit scared out of me by this hole in the wall. Oh, wow. I didn't clock that little detail that he was turning on the timer. He was turning the light on on a timer? Yeah. Like, it's kind of like, like back, back in the day when I don't like when people used to like, turn on and on their lights with that weird timer thing to conserve Mm. or like to make sure people didn't rob their houses. I'm not sure which one, but they probably suffice for either one. I've never been confronted (laughs) with before, but I I, I respect it. it. (laughs) I feel like my father would really love that. (laughs) (laughs) If I had one of those in my house growing up, I would have gotten yelled at a lot less for leaving the lights on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to be like, it's timed. You knew where we were. (laughs) So, okay. So what happens after little man sees this hole in the wall? Oh, the candy. You start hearing some like, and you're like, because you see, (laughs) and you hear like, and a little cling, 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 and you're like, why, why, thank you. Why are you doing this? And then he comes out and like, it's this matte, beautiful coat, by the way. I really like the color and it really looked warm because it's Chicago, so it's probably a warm ass coat. That like little fur trim, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Little suede. <laughs> and our man has a hook for a hand. And like, it's one of those kind of hooks that like back in the day were like, so my grandpa had one of these. My grandpa had one arm and it's like, 
I don't know what, it, maybe it's made out of fiberglass. I don't know what it's made out of, but I know for a fact that that thing is at least as heavy as like a, like a log of wood. So if you think about it, that thing in itself, yes, it's already menacing because the hook, but if you literally like looked, if you would look and if you knew the like the actual severity, you could knock somebody out with this. You could obviously like take somebody out. So it's like, yeah, he's kind of menacing. It's, it's a threat. Very, you know, it's a little menacing. <laughs> yeah. Big man comes out of the hole in the wall with a big old hook club hand and, you know, That's giving scary. you candy. It's pretty terrifying. Yeah, so, of course, the little boy starts screaming. And the cops that right? we mentioned hear this scream all the way from outside. They come running in. And, well, you know, the tension that enters my body when, like, a black man is confronted with police, even in the fictional world is too real because you knew you knew we were like what five minutes into the film and as soon as the cops came running down running down to that basement you knew what was going to happen yeah and also like i i don't know but like for me i understand that you do not know what the perpetrator or the person because at this point we don't know if this person is a good person or a bad person it's kind of like it blurs the lines a little bit we don't know because we have no idea who this little boy is who this man with a hook arm is maybe we think that like it's the guy from the first one you know like how Mm -hmm. when they had that group of dudes in like the bathroom that attack helen and stuff oh yeah 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 yeah. right there's always a decoy candy man it seems they always they have to goop you they're like ah psych that's not real it's actually a ghost it's not a real person you're like but it is a real person but like they send like a whole squad down for that man i'm like yeah that was a lot of police there was a lot, a lot of police. Of police. There was at True least form, 10 though. for one man. True to form. Wait, I yeah. never understood. I'm like, mm, I guess taxpayers' money, hard at work, or like, y'all just want to kill somebody today. But we don't yeah. know if he dies because we don't know what y'all happens. Y'all just want to oh. kill somebody today. You know? Because oh, like, they are a mini army. But yeah, it just kind of ends. And that's where we kick it off to present day. So it's present day. And we are met with this beautiful apartment. We got, du- it, it is beautiful. It is a beautiful Ikea looking modern home. It is a Mm-mm, nice Girl, condo. Ikea is bottom rung compared to what's going on in this apartment. <laughs> we got some like straight out of the Norwegian art <laughs> deco scene. But you know what? But what I appreciate is that it's also very black. There are, yes. you know, there's black art on the wall and we're in the home of two black artists. So yes. it's bougie is black as all hell. We're in the home of Anthony and Brianna, Anthony McCoy played by the beautiful Yaya mm. Abdul-Mateen the second. I can't, the I just thickums. can't handle how, not only just how beautiful this person is, but how talented this actor is. I know. His partner in the film is Brianna Cartwright played by, the wonderful Tiana Paris. Oh my God. Oh I my God. Meet my wife. Enough Meet my wife. Recognition. Oh, Chirac, Chirac had me. Like what? maybe some people didn't like Chirac, but whatever. That's oh, fine. She's but just she, so powerful. She's such a powerful sh- performer. Shh. Lysistrata right there, baby. Yo. Deny all acts of <laughs> entrance. Oh uh, my gosh. 
Don't worry. So Anthony and Brianna are hosting Brianna's brother, Troy Cartwright, and his partner, Grady Greenberg, who are played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett and Kyle Kaminsky. Nathan Stewart Jarrett. Do we have anybody who loves Misfits? All I got to say is I don't know if this is his first American debut. Probably not. And I've been sleeping, but I don't care. I'm going to say I'm happy for him anyway. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Come from across the pond, mate. Come over. Do a Candyman (laughs) flick, yeah? So I've never watched Misfits, and I didn't know that this actor was from the UK. Yeah, man. He plays um in Misfits. His superpower is time travel. But the thing is, his time traveling power only happens when he's like in an elite time of emotional peril. So like he has to be very overwhelmed to time travel, then eventually I think he gets the hang of it a little bit. And yeah. By being overwhelmed? Yeah. His superpower kicks in when he's overwhelmed? Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How did I miss out on that one? It's good. Let me tell you, I'd be the most powerful superpower, super <laughs> powerful person. Anxiety. If, if, look at me. I'm overwhelmed right now. <laughs> All the anxiety, all of the time. You be bouncing <laughs> through dimensions and shit. <laughs> like Just a call me country. Captain Anxiety. <laughs> you have to be Zen in order Slap not to Slap a cape on trouble. me and I'm here to save the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Troy and his partner Grady are having dinner with Brianna and Anthony and they're having their bougie wine and they're having bougie chats about gentrification and, and real estate and because and real estate he's a real estate and, agent as well. Yes. And it's kind of funny because they're getting into a bit of a back and forth about the effects of gentrification, but it hilariously comes to an, a tipping point when Grady yeah. kind of low-key calls out Brianna yeah. for playing a part in gentrification because look at the apartment complex that they're in. I know. I'm not saying that he was wrong, but I'm just saying it was a little racist to do that in a black person's house. At- <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're like, you're like low-key, don't like it. Like, not really. I don't think it was actually racist, but I'm calling it racism just because I can. What we, yeah. But the thing that we can say about it, that like, because... I I clocked it the first time and I was like, that's not what he said. And then when I watched it the second time, I'm like, oh, shit, that's what he said. That's what he said. Because I did the exact same thing. The first time watching the film, I was like, is this what this conversation is about? Oh, was that a drag? Oh, it was a drag. But (laughs) this is the thing is I think I'm not even going to give him that much credit. I'm going to give him a little bit only because like I'm thinking like. I feel like he's also new to the world of black, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And like him saying that was like him going through all the information that they just said, because he didn't know anything about Cabrini Green. He didn't know anything about like the area as like it has been told. So with the information that they're giving him, it's like, well, like this place, right? And that's the Mm -hmm. only way I see I took it. I see. But like, I will say that like, maybe they should have explained it better because what I would have said is in reality, 
Is it when the people from that area, but I guess we don't know if Brianna is actually from that area. We do know that Anthony is supposed to be from the South side, apparently. But it's like, what happens if you are in that area and then you have enough money to buy a place within the area that you reside in? Would that still be contributing to gentrification when you were just buying from your own area? But maybe she isn't from there. Oh. And maybe that's why she couldn't really respond that way. I don't know. That was just the thought for myself, personally. It's an interesting question. I don't know. I feel like, am I, I can't afford to buy a home in the neighborhood that my parents' house is in, the same house that I grew up in. But if I buy a property there, if I could afford to buy property and I did buy a condo in one of the, you know, buildings that was being erected at the top of their street, like, am I playing into gentrification? I don't know. Right. Or is this just Ooh, what the city has one. given us? Because that's kind of yeah. what we have left. Yeah. Anyway. Complicated issue, gentrification. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's why they made a whole movie about it and put it in the context of a horror thriller because otherwise no one would understand it. <laughs> We're like, ah. We still don't quite understand it. Yeah. So, like, I'd say the evening is going rather well. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like they're mm -hmm. getting a taste of Grady. Grady seems like a good kid. And then we we start to talk about Candyman. And then we we get in because because Troy is like, let me tell you a scary ass story. And then we find out. Even though his sister's not about no. it. She's like, I voted no to this scary story. She's like, no. Nope. But Troy's like, nah, this is what we're doing. And you're like, no, man, I said no. Stop it. I said no, dog. I said no. <laughs> <laughs> Respect my boundaries. Respect my superstitions. <laughs> but like he goes, he goes to tell the story of Candyman, but it's not Candyman anymore. It's Helen. It's like we get the new legend of Candyman, which is Helen, who who lost it one day because she was researching what was going on at Cabrini Green. And then she took a child and then she was. What did he say? What did he say? That was so dumb. Oh, that she was doing blood angels in the snow but i'm like but who's oh blood? yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the way that troy's telling the story helen is really the victim like you said it's not the Candyman story it's helen's story but it's not really her story because he's depicting her out like to be the the villain the way he's telling the story she's the one that's cracked apparently she kills the dog yeah she escapes from jail mm -hmm. they fully paint her as the bad guy which in reality in the movie she, she didn't kill the did she kill the dog no i mean no i can't even kill the dog but like she was there in all those situations to be like well i guess like that's what happened because it it technically did you know what i mean mm-hmm Okay, what I will say is that the most interesting thing about how this story is being told, how Helen's story is being told, wrong as it may be, is the use of puppetry. So as mm -hmm. Troy is telling Grady and Anthony and Brianna about the history of Candyman, the wrong history, but we're going to let that slide for now, uh, <laughs> the screen is filled with a puppet show that it beautifully depicts the backstory, which I personally think is a great storytelling device 
which is hilarious for anyone who knows me because I'm not particularly <laughs> a fan of shadow puppetry or puppetry in general. Yeah. However, I have been seeing more and more really cool puppet and stop motion art and films that I really enjoy. And yeah, I think that this is like the the way it's done in this movie is a really great way to tell the story without having to hire, you know, those actors to um, do it, to reenact or to use old clips from the original film. It's yeah, it's just an, it's just a great storytelling device. Yeah, because like I just thought when I saw from, when we saw it in the beginning, when like Billy was doing the shadow puppets and stuff, I was like, oh, my God, this is first year like in what what was it community week shadow puppetry oh my gosh you know what i mean the community like, week i think his name puppetry. was Sean or something like that i'm like oh he's probably like ah oh, this is so good love shadow puppetry eh, eh, eh. yeah and like i do think that it made me like ring a little bell with that because i'm like oh yeah no if you start using different forms of art and you start to broadcast it it will look newer it will look different it will give you a whole different feeling because like a <laughs> You will see it later in the movie. There is a shadow puppet with little tiny twist braids. That's all I gotta say. Whoever it's made really these cool. shadow puppets, it's really well done. Are great. Yeah, yeah. They deserve something. So- anything. Recognition. Anything. <laughs> so Troy finishes telling them the story of Candyman. Their dinner party comes to an end, and Anthony and Brianna are left in their apartment. And they're, you know, talking about the legend of Candyman, discussing whether or not it's something they believe in. And you can sense some skepticism between mm-hmm. the both of them, I guess. But, like, Anthony's kind of about it. He is and into it. He, you know, he, like, he does it. He says it. He stops. He says it five times. He says it five Even times. Even though Brianna's she- like, no. you, you gonna fuck around and find out. You gonna fuck around and find out. Why don't people learn? I don't know. I don't know. It's like you just got a whole backstory, a whole history lesson on the dangers of Candyman. And you're out here in your own home saying that name five times. Right. Are you brand new? Right. You know, I, I when everybody's like, oh, it's so silly. Why are you superstitious? I'm like, yo, I don't think it's being superstitious. It's just like, what if? Like a what if, you know? You can't what prove if? that that don't exist. You it's come and faith. give me a dissertation with a theory of relativity or some type of paper <laughs> with an equation that tells me that this shit does not exist. And then I might say Candyman five times in a row in a mirror. But if you cannot prove that to me, I ain't <laughs> doing shit for you. <sighs> I'm going to say that the melanin has got something to do with it. Um, (laughs) But no, don't do it, dog. This is one of my favorite moments in the film, because as soon as Anthony says it and they they sort of laugh it off and they hug and they're like, "Mm," they're having Mm. a little, "Mm, I get it. You're a couple. Y'all are cute. It's cute. And then off in the distance, you see a little shadow. There's a little silhouette Ooh. of Candyman Ooh. just standing there. Look what you did. Ooh. Look what you did. You Ooh. fucked around and you're about to find out. Don't do it. Please don't do <laughs> it. Candyman is summoned in your... Oh, you're going to go through it. It's going to be an hour and 31 <laughs> minutes of terror. Oh, boy. 
So it's the next day and one of Brianna's, would you say it is her, would you say Clive Privier is her boss or he is the person who curates the gallery? Or would you say both? Or because she does that too, right? I think he's the curator of that particular gallery and she curates for other galleries, I guess. Cool. Is the sense that I got. So you got Clive. Clive is, I don't know, mid-30s, bearded, white dude that loves art and has an ego somewhere. I don't know. I know it's somewhere. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, he hasn't showed us anything, (laughs) but it's going to come out somewhere because it has to. But he's, like, looking at Anthony's work and he's like, yo, this used to be, like, the work that you used to do and I want that work again, you know? Like, what did he call him? The Great Black Hope. And I was like, oh, yeah, stop oh, that. Yeah. I'm like, what? This conversation was hilarious because he's out here trying to get Anthony to like dig deeper and really, really, you know, find his voice and come up with his next exhibition. But it's very obvious that all he's trying to do is get Anthony to play on his trauma. Yeah. Because... Anthony says, okay, well, I was thinking about exploring my roots and looking at gentrification in some sense. And Clive's response is, oh, oh, he's, oh, he's like, oh, like where you grew up. And Anthony's, uh, Anthony's like, yeah. But then Clive's like, oh, the South Side is played out. Yeah. So last year. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what do you mean? If you know, poverty and strife are trendy based on their location. Right, and that art It's almost as if that was Mm. real. Mm -mm. And so, like, Anthony's like, well, maybe Caprini Green. And then Clive's just like, oh, maybe. And you're just like, oh. That's cute. That's somewhere I've never heard before. Mm -hmm. That sounds exotic. Yeah, and you're like, what (laughs) the fuck? But... Cabrini Green? Mm, yes. Oh, that sounds good. It's close to Walgreens. Mm, I don't it? know her. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, okay. And so after that, Anthony starts doing some research and... Yeah. He goes down to the Cabrini Green uh, apartment complexes. Yep. He's taking photos. He's gathering inspiration for his new exhibition. The church, though, the 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 white church, remember he showed, like, the picture of what it used to look like and what it looks like now? It went from mm. being, like, it was, like, black and red and, like, some other things. Like, maybe it was just because it was on at night. But then, like, now the church is completely barren of any, how would you say, like, detail. And it's just all white. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, mm-hmm. and then you see, like, the ants eating the dead bee on the ground. And you're like, ooh. No, but that... Hold on a second. So that happens after he gets stung. So he gets stung by a bee while he's taking photos. Oh, and then and it sort of like slaps it away. He slaps it away and it falls. And that's when you see the ants eating the bee. I think this is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, sick as it may be, because it's like the worst possible alternate Spider Man <laughs> syndrome. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing. I just made it up. Spider-Man syndrome. When you get bit by a spider and something happens to you, radioactive Yeah, radioactiveness. Yeah. But this is like the shitty version. (laughs) Because as the movie goes on, this bee sting just like rots away his whole hand. It gets gooey. 
Which, it's so gross. It's like it's like in the fly. At one point, his hand is so yeah, so decrepit. He's able to pull his own fingernail off. I love and it, that it, shit. It legit reminds me of Jeff Goldblum in the fly. It's yeah. so gross. I love it. I love the gooey. I love it. (laughs) I'm like, why is it so shiny? Like, is that oil? Is that plasma? I don't know. (laughs) And like, (laughs) and now that I think about it, that we're talking about it, the hand thing, I'm like, he's an artist. I wonder if that's also his painting hand. I never really clocked that. Whoa. Because in the original movie, the original Candyman is also an artist, uh-huh. and he has his painting hand cut off, uh-huh. which is just, ooh, uh-huh. parallels. Maybe. It's um, possible. Or maybe I'm just making shit up. I don't know. Let's hope it's something. <laughs> so while Anthony is doing his research on the Cabrini Greens, he's approached by a man named William Burke. Coleman Domingo. <laughs> so yes, William Burke is played by Coleman Domingo. If you've been watching this season of Euphoria, you'd recognize him as Ali, Ali. the ever-wise AA advisor for our little Rue. We discovered that he's the little boy from the beginning of the film. Yeah, he's Billy. Is that right? Yeah, he's, he's little. Billy. He's a little boy who's mm-hmm. doing laundry who almost gets snatched by Candyman out the hole in the wall, who we learn is Sherman, Sherman Fields. Fields. And what do we know about Sherman, Jenna? He's actually just a regular guy. That's just <laughs> it. He's a regular guy who gives Who's a little candy. unwell, mentally unwell. You can yeah. tell that like that was part of what, you know, got that person to be where they were, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. it's so he, sad. He calls them a character, you know, like sometimes there's just people who you meet and they're just characters in their own right. And, you know, because like, I don't know, like, I guess like if you really look at it, giving kids candy is not the weirdest thing, but it is the weirdest thing, you know? Except for when, so I guess the backstory for Sherman is that the cops went looking for him when a little white girl found a razor blade in her Halloween candy. Mm-mm. And it's really unfortunate because I don't actually think that that was him. Nope. I could be wrong about that. I don't think so. But I don't think it was him in the context of the film. And if you go back to the beginning of the movie, you re- you realize that Sherman was just giving young William a piece of candy. Yep. And... Well, Sherman was, you know, I guess if you're a little boy and you see a man crawl out of a hole, regardless of whether he's carrying candy or not, especially if that man's got a hook for a hand, you're probably going to scream. Yeah. Which is what the cops were responding to when they came barging down those stairs. But of course, you know. No question. Them pulling out their guns and uh, And shooting Sherman dead was uh, once again true to form. That's that's what happens. Because that because like. When William tells the story, we get the we get the other little piece, right? The other little piece of the whole thing, which is like, oh, he was just a dude. You even see like the little candy as well that it had nothing in it. And like even the way like the the boy reacts, right? With the like young William when he's just going up the stairs, like when you start to look in the context, he's just chilling, walking up, and they're like, get out of the way, and then bang, bang, bang. And mm-hmm. you're like, what? No mm-hmm. ask, don't tell. And, like, what are mm-hmm. all those cops going to say? Like, they're all going to be like, well, 
I saw what you saw and I saw nothing. He Ugh. was coming at us probably yeah. like, yeah. But in the end, he's just like, yep. And then William goes to say like, and guess what? The next year, same razor blades, same candy. Wasn't, wasn't Sherman. And now it's time for Anthony's art attack. This is art attack. This is art attack. This is art attack. Neil Buchanan, you've got a special place in my heart till the day I die. Just so you know. Love you. Okay. (laughs) So Anthony comes into the apartment and we see Brianna working as usual. We hear her speaking on the phone to someone. Don't know, but she's speaking in French. Yes, our girl is bilingual. She's we love a bilingual bay. <laughs> Anthony tells Brianna about his new inspiration, and he gets into the Candyman story about Cabrini Green. And okay, so we actually jumped ahead earlier where we were talking about them saying the name five times and discussing whether or not this was something that they truly believed in. This is where they do it. This is where Anthony chooses to fuck around and find out, says Candyman's name five times, and we discover that he's lurking in the background of their apartment as they're kissing and loving up on one another. So next we jump to the art show. Yeah. Anthony's art show. It's like a a considerable jump in time. I guess it would have been at least a a couple of weeks for him to put together this exhibition. Well, this is the thing, is it's not just him. It's all the other people, too. So yeah, it's a collection of artists who are showing off their pieces and his piece, he does this like really cool interactive thing where he builds a mirror cabinet and his art piece exists within the mirror and it's very meta. It's extra as all hell. It's extra because it's exactly what happened in the first one, right? Like you go through the cabinet in the mirror, right? It's like he listened, he got all the information, he was taking the notes He was taking the notes. He did it. However, I love that the critic is like, it's funny because she's like, oh, yeah, I guess you could do another piece about gentrification. But like your kind are the worst perpetrators for for this. And he's like, excuse me, what? Who's kind? And she's like, artists. Artists. (laughs) Which I thought was a hilarious, almost bait and switch. Because she calls out artists for being the exact individuals who are buying up cheap property in low-income neighborhoods and dicking around with their art in those spaces and then fucking off when they make a ton of money. Right. Which is an interesting observation. It is interesting. I think it's also bullshit only because, like, you're saying that also artists don't come from the ghetto. Well, exactly. Right? That was my thing. <laughs> Which, like, Yeah. Yeah. I was like, who are you? I literally lady? wrote down the critic is a tool. Yeah. <laughs> because it is a it's a very reductive idea to say that like artists are the ones who are, you know. Anyway. Anthony is obviously over the pretentious art holes in this. And mm-hmm. yes, I did just say art holes. Um, I coined that phrase. I like that. Pay me. Thank you. I like that. He cusses them all the fuck out and he's he's over it. He's over it. Oh, it's good. It's good. Honestly, that plan B for the summer interns joke was banger. I love that. 
So to contextualize it for our listeners, as Anthony's walking out the door, he tells the gallery owner, Clive, that he should be stocking up on plan B for the summer internship that he runs, which is like, oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. is this man creeping on the young interns? Yes, yes, he is. Yes, he yes, is. Yes, he is. He's a sexual predator. Because the chick, Jerrica, that is there, who is a a young POC art person named Jerrica, is like, yo, I got the Nuva ring. It's fine. And I'm like, ah! ooh, ooh, that's gross. Like, that's gross. <laughs> she knows. <Ew. laughs> well, they are left in the studio and uh, Clive and Jerrica is her name, the mm-hmm. little uh, intern. The two of them are the last ones in the studio at night. And they're also in the, they're also interested in fucking around and finding out because she, I think it's Jerrica who says uh, Candyman's name five times in the mirror. Yep. As the two of them are about to, you know, smack. And uh, <laughs> like, Almost mid-stroke, Candyman shows up. I mean, I'm I'm playing. Their clothes are all still on. Yeah, um, but like mid-hump, like shows there's up. dry humping. There's lots of oh, dry yeah, humping for sure. Heavy petting. Heavy <laughs> petting. <laughs> <laughs> but Candyman shows up and fucks it up. Makes a whole mess in this studio. And it's great. This is, it's yeah. the first like really bloody Candyman killing spree in the, uh, their start of the killing spree. Yeah. In this film. And... There's blood everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and the way that it's shot is really cool because you never actually see Candyman uh-huh. outside of a reflection. No. Nope. Which I think is really cool. And yeah, you just see these two bodies being dragged up and down, draped up and down the studio, blood's being squirted everywhere. And you catch very short glimpses of Candyman's reflection, which is super cool. Yeah, he gets he gets the back of that man's Achilles. He gets he gets that girl's throat. Like, I will say, compared to the other one, like Candyman 1, 2, and 3, I would say that this one, I feel, has the most, like, blood, gushy, Definitely the goriest. It's not as romantic, I don't think. You know what? I never thought about it. It's not as romantic as the other ones. I think the other ones were, like, the history of prejudice and slavery and terrible scrutiny of people that are others and this one was just like we gonna cut motherfuckers up all day every day slice dice i love it so we cut to the next morning and oh he's brooding from the day before anthony is and he's making all the the new art that he's inspired by and at the same time Brianna is going to work. And where does Brianna work? Brianna works at the art gallery. So what's girl gonna find? I want to say that this movie never addresses the fact that this woman walked into work to find a bloody scene of two severely mashed up bodies. And at no point do we talk about how traumatizing that must have been for her. No, we don't hear anybody being like, hey girl, how are you? Like even when we go back. Rough morning, huh? Yeah, like how 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 are you? Traumatized, traumatization, part one, two, and three. So we get back to the apartment. We see Anthony's face and like it looks glazed over. And I didn't notice this until I watched it the second time that I noticed like the cataracts were a little bit like grayish. And then you hear them mention Anthony McCoy. You, you hear the name on the news report. And then you hear Say My Name, which is the name of his exhibit, like the mirror exhibit that he did about Candyman. And then he's kind of like, oh, my God, like, 
they said my name. That snaps so. him out of it. Yeah. And then like, he keeps going into it. And then you just pan out and you see Troy and Brianna just looking at him like, two people fucking died. And you're out here being like, yo, say my name, say my name. I'm famous. I'm famous. As <laughs> Look at what say. I painted. <laughs> Look at this pretty picture I made. I mean, it's that that's I'm misrepresenting the tone of it because his shit was all fucked up. And yeah. He was looking like he was really going through it. But still. So what I wasn't expecting was a little flashback moment. Yeah. For young Brianna and Troy, where we see that their dad was also an artist. Mm -hmm. And we learned that he committed suicide by jumping out of a window. And little Brianna witnessed that, which is, again, so traumatizing. Wow, just linked this back to maybe why she wasn't visibly affected by coming upon those dead bodies at work is because she's already dealing with so much trauma of watching her father kill himself. Ooh, wow, it's all it's all clicking now. She's, she's like been there, done that. I've seen <laughs> dead bodies there, done before. That. <laughs> yeah, I stood by me Ooh. and you. Want to see a dead body? <laughs> so Anthony is continuing on with his research. He's in the library listening to Helen's tapes. He's leaving the library and ends up inside of an elevator that's all glass. And in a movie that where the villain is, you know, accessed through mirrors, that just does not bode well. Nope. Nope. There's nope. this little piece of candy yep. that just, what is it, falls from the ceiling? Yeah, it just kind of like pops out of nowhere. And, it's, and specifically, I noticed that it's the same silver candy that Billy yep. had. It's it's silver, yep. just like it. Like, I know the other ones were different yep. colors, but, like, the one that actually got touched was the silver one. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Huh. As we also see that the bee sting is getting nastier and nastier. <laughs> like, we're on the way to that hand being ready to all but fall off. And this is all indicating that, like, Candyman is trying to bust through. Candyman's like, let me into your, you know, let me into your world. Let me play. be your nightmare. <laughs> What is it? Let me be your fantasy? What is it? Like, I forget what he used to say, you know? But it was sexy. When Tony Todd said the first time, like, let me be your nightmare or let me be your Mm. whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, an interesting fact that I forgot to mention when he was in the library listening to the tapes, because I think, like, the following scenes are kind of scored with the sound of the tapes that he was listening to. And we hear clips of interviews that... What he's listening to is Helen's tapes, Helen's interviews that she conducted in the first movie where she was trying to learn about the Cabrini Green projects and everything that had gone on there. And if you remember, if you have seen the original films and you remember the cleaning ladies that Helen spoke to in the classroom, their voices are on the tapes, too, which I thought was a really great callback to the original film. Mm-hmm. And like, what's the other thing? And also, again... Helen still pisses me off and she's not even in this movie. I'm like, lady, you sound so I love your disdain for this woman. I do, I do, I do. You know, I'm just like, who are you? And it's like their collective consciousness and like who to blame and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, again, the audacity. You come into a place, you ask for their information, and then you still criticize them. Even though the information that you're taking is what's going to get you your degree. But whatever, mm. whatever, whatever. Mm. Tales all this time. Take from us, then make fun of us. Like, I, 
whatever. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so I guess Brianna mentions earlier in the film, Anthony missed a an important dinner. I guess he, he missed a dinner with his mom that he was supposed to attend with his mom and uh, Brianna because he was so, you know, focused on his art. Now she mentions another important dinner with a high profile art exhibitor. I don't know, some high profile art person. Yeah. But instead of going to that dinner, Anthony goes to visit the critic from earlier. Yeah. And like... She's about it now. She's about it now because, like, there's some fame attached to it. And now her whole tune has changed to be like, oh, this is amazing. And da 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 da. She tells him that all of a sudden your work seems eternal, which is like, <clears throat> is that because some people died? Because that's really unfortunate. <laughs> Right. It's kind of like I don't want my relevancy as an artist to be predicated on anyone's death. That's what I'm saying. You know, when like, you know, artists die and their work becomes more famous than it actually was. I was just about to say, unless it's my own death. Right. Which like fuck it up. Say whatever you want about me after I'm dead. I'm not here. (laughs) I'm chilling. I'm chilling. I'm chilling in heaven with my grandma. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's like it gets it gets really weird because he gets she goes up because she gets a little bit like taken aback by him being like, oh, so like this artist thing and da da da. And he kind of claps back at her and she's like, I need to go to the bathroom. And he's like, oh, you should probably say Candyman. And so it goes in there. And then there's a little moment where Anthony's like, again, looking at the goop on his hand and then looking around. And then he sees oh, like, yeah. and then he sees, he sees Sherman because this is a thing. It's like so far, so good. No Tony Todd. We're, we're all about Sherman. We're all about Oh, yeah, Sherm. Sherman as Candyman. Yeah, we've seen no indication. Tony Todd's Candyman, the OG Candyman. Right, but I will say, no offense to the people who did the CGI, but I'm just gonna say, like, Sherman is looking like a GTA character, okay? A little bit. Oh, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit. It's probably a budgeting it's issue, okay. but you it's know, okay. we're gonna often look at because there's so many other great factors to this film. <laughs> <laughs> so the critic is in the bathroom. Does she do the? Does she say it? She no. says it five times, doesn't she? she no, she, she just kind of she just kind of like looks at herself real hard in the mirror. You but know? she's thinking about it. She's thinking about she's it. She's thinking about it. She's toying with it, but I don't know what else she wants from it though. So she doesn't do it. So at least she has some sense. But does it matter? So when she comes out of the bathroom, Anthony's in a bit of a trance and he sees Candyman behind her. And this startles him, of of course. So he runs out of the critic's apartment and as the camera pulls away, she gets murked. And it's it's so so great because the way that this is shot is so beautiful because it's like a crane shot that pulls away from, it's an exterior crane shot that pulls away from the entire apartment. apartment building. Exactly. And you see the tiniest little window inside her apartment where Candyman just slices her up. Uh-huh. And it's so subtle. It's such a shift from like the first murders where it's we're in there with those characters. We feel like we're, you know, running from him right alongside them. Mm-hmm. And then th- this this is so different. It's it, it it's like you want to scream, but you're too far. You want to scream for her to look out, but you're way too far away. Oh, it's so great. And also, it goes to the fact that now turning this more into a ghost story than it was before. Because I would say that, like, we saw a lot of Tony Todd as, like, a physical being. 
like in the other mm-hmm. ones and this one it's just mm-hmm. like no this is this is straight up ghost like don't even consider but like, what i love about that is that so where we go next is that anthony is talking to william burke once again who tells him the original Candyman story the tony mm-hmm. todd you know used to be an artist fell in love with a white woman got his painting hand chopped off got her pregnant got her pregnant you don't know all forget. that and William Billy Burke basically describes this whole story and its connection to black collective consciousness which i think links to what you just described Jenna right and like we see when William tells the story Anthony starts to like click more and more and more but then we stop thinking about Anthony for a minute because it can't be all about him. We got to also focus on Brianna because at the same time, like she is also another person dealing with trauma within this problematic gentrified world that we got in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they're having kind of problems. Her, so I wouldn't say problem problems, but like her and Troy have to figure out what to do with her father's work. And again, her father, her late father, was a, I guess he was famous. I guess he was just as much as a a well-established art person as she is. And the mother doesn't want to deal with all the stuff anymore. So Troy's thinking, like, maybe put on an exhibit or maybe sell it. But, like, she's having problems with that because she doesn't really know what to do with it. And she's just saying that she thinks that Anthony's kind of gone off the deep and is scared and is confiding in her brother about what's happening. And he's just like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, why are you with this person? Cause he is against like broke artists. <laughs> I love how much he hates Anthony. He's just not here for, you know, what does he say to him in the beginning of the movie? He's like, you better start painting again soon and stop having my sister support you. Put down those weights and pick up a paintbrush. Cause you know, yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen got those muscles out here. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> yeah, he's just, he is it's- not having it. He's like, I don't have no time for broke men. That is basically (laughs) Troy's MO. He's like, nobody should have time for broke men. He's like, broke (laughs) men don't deserve no pussy. I know that's right. Like That's that's, right. That's Troy, everyone. That is Troy. Looking out for his big sister. I know that's (laughs) right. Oh my gosh. Okay, so next we cut to what I feel is a quintessential scene in any horror film where you've got some teens just living their best teen life. Let's kill them. They're in the bathroom and one of the young girls who was actually at the art show earlier on in the film asks the other students in the washroom if they, I was going to say girls, but you know, some of them seem like they are gender non-conforming. So this group of teens in the washroom they do the Candyman challenge. I'm calling it a Candyman challenge now because in the context of like a TikTok world, it totally would be a challenge. It would it, be. It's very, it's very much a TikTok challenge at some point. So they do Candyman. They say it five times in the mirror. And there's one girl, Tarina, who's in the toilet stall and has headphones on, these massive headphones on and is listening to music. And of course, you say Candyman five times in the mirror, Candyman's going to show up. And despite the fact that these young, these kids don't think think that they, you know, have escaped the possibility of the consequences of saying Candyman in the mirror five times, 
they, I literally just looked around my room to make sure that I'm not looking in any mirrors. Oh my because God. I've, I've said it how many times in the course, you said it a lot. course of this recording? I've said it a lot. I'm like making sure not to look in the mirror now. now I'm taking this, off, bitch, I'm taking this I'm one s- off my desk. Because I'm in front of the toaster, the toaster oven, mm, the microwave. Is it shiny? But I'm not is it a shiny toaster? You oh imagine? god! Oh god! <laughs> the hook pops out of the fucking toaster and just hooks me. Oh Ugh. my god! Okay, so to make a long story short, these kids get murked, and Tarina's in the stall listening to this bloody scene for unfold, and she's she's not with the shits. She's staying quiet as a mouse, and one of the kids on the outside of the stall drops a mirror, and Tarina sees. Tarina sees it all. Oh, talk about trauma. Could you imagine? After that, you're like, I, I didn't kill to. any of them, though. <laughs> no. No. No, no, no. That's not on me. It was the one-armed man. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> it was the one-armed man. Y'all gonna suspend me for this? <laughs> so, again, we're getting deeper into this film, and this hand keeps getting grosser. Even one chick at one point at dinner is like, you should stop picking at that. Or it says you should put something on that. Yeah, it's getting that bad. Mm. Other people can see mm. it. Okay, that's how gross mm. it is. Yeah, it's pretty gross. It you is. get that looked at by a doctor. <laughs> Maybe a, a doctor. You're like, do you know if bee stings can do this? I'm like, I don't, I don't think you're allergic. No, 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 no. You need an exorcism, <laughs> not a doctor. Are you kidding me? You need to sage that hand, Anthony. <laughs> Hold a crystal or something. <laughs> anything. Anything. Oh Put God. some holy water on it. Ooh, some Florida water. Sprinkle some Florida water on Please. it. Please. <laughs> so Brianna gets an offer to curate her own gallery, yes. which is huge. It's a great opportunity, but it's also a pretty vapid, like, it's culture bad. vulture bite for her personal shit. Like, her dad and Anthony, because again, which we we saw it earlier with Clive and we're seeing it again with this individual who really just wants. They want them to rip out their hearts, put it on a plate, and then they want to take one bite and be like, I've had this already, but I want it different. Yeah. They want to exploit their pain for money. Right. That's really what it comes down to. And like, she does it with that. Black woman at dinner who's like basically like her her mentor. It's the same woman. Like idol, right? It's the same woman. Yeah. And yeah. like that's all she's talking about. She's not talking about like what she thinks that she can do. And it's almost kind of patronizing also. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know. She's like, you could do some really great work. And I'm like, you kind of just sound like the same people from the other art gallery. Like I thought we were supposed to feel safe in the same space. But I guess you're also still just out here to get the same money and maybe you lost yourself along the way too. But like, she kind of just feels like she's kind of just left out here. And it's kind of sad because like she should be able to, I don't know, she should be able to do her own stuff without having the ghosts of her father and her like now be man, like having their issues. Yeah, having their issues exploited for, yeah, I, I, no, it's too much. So we cut to Anthony in the hospital, finally getting someone to look at that crusty hand of his. Oh, I mean, I get it. Healthcare is whew, literally cost an arm and a leg. But um, oh yes, we are in the United States of America. 
Oh God. Like right now I gotta, I realize I gotta get a filling and like, cause I, I, I feel it and my tooth hurts and I'm like, well, maybe I can go to the dentist in two weeks. Mm. Ah, so I feel you. I mean, it ain't cheap here, but it's definitely cheaper than the U.S. Let's let that's that's real. You know what I mean? So while in the hospital, Anthony discovers that he, despite what he thought, he was not born on the south side of Chicago, but he uh-uh. was born right there in the projects, just minutes away from the Cabrini Green complex. And he's a little stumped by this information, so he goes to visit his mom, who is played by Vanessa Williams, the OG. She is a vampire. I'm telling you, she is a vampire. She looks the same. It's wild. She doesn't look a day older than she did when the original movie was filmed. Uh -uh. So for those who don't know, Vanessa played the mother of the baby that was kidnapped. Well, kidnapped. I don't know if that's the right word for it. I would yeah, say it's technically uh, kidnapped. taken, kidnapped. I would say either that one. That baby got snatched. Yeah. The baby got snatched. He was going to be an offering. Snatched he was by going Candy to die. Man. Yeah. <laughs> the baby got snatched by Candyman who was going to use that baby as a sacrifice to what? Solidify his love with Helen in the first movie? I don't know. Yeah. But that baby was Anthony. Anthony was like destined to be... The next Candyman. His mom essentially tells him the true story of Helen and how he almost died in that fire and how it was Helen who saved him in the end. Right? Because he's just like, because also it's not just his arm anymore. His face is like all like, he, he looks like Seal, but if Seal rubbed polysporin all over his face. He looks like like grayscale in is that what it's called in Game of Thrones when like you get uh, touched by those rock people and then yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sir Jorah ended up getting oh Sir Jorah <laughs> oh I know now I'm just thinking about Game of Thrones it happens he was never it does happen get from it. time to time no it's fine we don't have to go down that very long <laughs> dark road <laughs> so. Anthony's mom really just like drops a whole uh, bombshell on his life. And yeah, I don't know how I would feel if my mom told me that I wasn't born where I thought I was. I had been kidnapped by a ghost. A ghost man. A ghost slave man. A ghost murderer. Almost killed by that ghost murderer. And then saved by a woman who was, you know, who has become a vilified legend, essentially. We don't pick the lives we have. They're bestowed upon us. <laughs> yep. Yep. Very true. Sure words have never been spoken. And he's just like, Mama, I need help. Like, you need to tell me what's good because, like, my hand's rotten off, my face rotten off. So what's good? So now we have Troy and Brianna. They are coming back to the apartment and she's going to be taking her things. And again, okay, like a brother should, <laughs> so like funny. a brother should, he's just like, we are in this house. We are coming to take the things. And if you He's don't, like announcing their presence for up. Troy. For Oh, man. It's so funny because he's making such a show out of announcing their presence in case Anthony is there. He's being such a good brother and such a good human. I, you know, I'm team Troy all the way. Yeah. And Anthony's not there. 
Anthony's not there. It kind of freaks out Brianna because like, uh, so far so good, it kind of seems like Anthony doesn't have any friends. It seems like it's kind of her and him, which like none of my business, already kind of a problem, but whatever, it's not my relationship. I don't have to deal with it. But she's just like, I've texted this person or I've called this person, like where could he possibly be? And so like, she's smart. She remembers that Anthony was talking about the laundromat that him and William met at. So she goes to the laundromat and she sees Anthony's hat. And then like, oh yeah, she sees the hat. So she's like, let's go further. Then she goes into the back, opens up a door. It's dark down there. She's like, nope, turns around, shuts the door. But the thing is when she saw the hat, you just see the in the background, if you saw that, the little latch like turned and locked itself. Mm. And so like that door is locked. Oh it's yeah. Not opening. No, no. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. The right, door. That little, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So like she's like banging on the door and like there's a lady in the laundromat, but she can't hear her. So she's like, what do I do? So then she gets snatched. She gets snatched up by Will. Yeah, she gets snatched up by Billy Burke, who's got Anthony locked up and he's ready to make Brianna watch as he chops off Anthony's arm shoves a hook in the gaping hole and explains that Anthony is destined to be the next Candyman. This man is a little twisted, a little diabolical. He calls the police, fully knowing that what they're going to do is show up there and gun Anthony down, thus killing him and making him the next Candyman. It's all part of his plan. Yeah. you know, it's like a, a true plan. villain. He, it, it's a great plan, you know, from the villain's perspective. Yeah. Like a true villain, he lets Brianna know this entire plan. And it, the piece de resistance is that, like, after he shoves the hook in, he grabs these two lollipops to represent, you know, the candy. And homegirl escapes. Brianna's like, I ain't sticking around for this. She cuts and he eventually catches up to her. She tries to mosh him up with something heavy, but it's a, this is actually quite funny. It's a little bit too heavy for her. And you think that she got got in that moment, but what she ends up doing is just like stabbing him in the yep. eye. She has takes him down at first. And then it's just, she just, she just keeps going. She's just like stab after stab after stab. It's She's taking out some aggression. Yeah. She's taking out some aggression. Because, like, she is. She's a pretty good final girl, if you really think about it. She kind of is. Yeah. Like, she is, in reality, now in the lexicon. Because, like, you know. Yeah. Like, she gets herself out by using the pen to get her out of the thing. And then, like, you know, she's trying to run. She's trying to save. She's also technically trying to save her man. But, like, she can't mm-hmm. save her man because her man's now, I don't know, like, gone over to the devil. I don't really understand the, the nature of the <laughs> occult in the Candyman world. So, like, That's we'll a just leave confusing, it That's a but I'm still here for it. We'll just say the devil. <laughs> when in doubt blame it on the devil yeah that's it and she she just goes as she's stabbing william's body anthony comes in and it's really almost a little romantic he says to her i think he's dead and she's scared of him because she doesn't know what state anthony's in and she there's this really kind of beautiful standoff between the two of them 
which ends in him collapsing into her arms. Mm-hmm. And he's on the brink of death. He's he's really not long for this world, which doesn't really matter because the cops eventually come in. And Jenna, you got to take this because I can't. <laughs> Yo, they just go. There's like, it's, it's exactly the same thing. And it's wild because like, they also could have killed her too. And I guess like they don't. They really like, could have. Because like, they just like go off. And if she doesn't get, if she didn't get out quick enough, like out of the way of range of like wherever they're because I'm like he's on the ground. I don't think she I'm did. Like, I don't think she got out of the way. I think they just shot as she was holding him. It's not like she would have had time to move out of the way, right? And it just they shot out him that they did exactly like, that he got the bullets exactly because they of course saw the hook and they thought it was a gun and blah 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 blah. blah. They feared for their lives. Blah, 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 blah. All the other types of tales that they leave <sighs> the urban legends, quote unquote, if you will, that the police tell. And so it's so typical, right? She's out here and they take her into the back of the cruiser. And there's like a bunch of cops too. Again, just like in the beginning of the movie with all these police officers. And he gives her the story basically being like, so you're either going to say that, you know, he was going wild and, you know, we, we did we what had we to shoot him and we had to shoot him. Or you're or we're going gonna to paint jail. you as an accomplice. Yeah, yeah, you're donezo. Like, see you later. They you are no... just so ready to do their fucking dirt. Right. It's so, ooh, it's, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and she's just like, wow. It's great. It's great. Because they're like, they, they, the cop, like, basically pushes her into this corner. And she's like, you know what? I'll tell you everything you want to hear. I'll say whatever the fuck you want me to say. Just let me see myself in the mirror. Just turn that rear view mirror towards me real quick. Just yep. let me see. I'm just trying to see something. I'm just trying to see something. And she does what we all expect her to do. She calls Candyman's name five times. And Anthony, as the new Candyman, mm-hmm. comes through and murks every single one of those cops. Oh, yeah. Dunzo. Like, And I'm not saying it's my favorite part of the movie. It's good. But it's good. It's good. It's no, good. no, it's good. Because, like... I'm sick and tired of this girl getting dogged. Like, no. Like, at some point, we need to understand that, like, this person, because, like, Black men and Black women go through trauma. And I also think that this movie, within what it did, because at first, because, like, I understand that our brothers get incarcerated and get shot up by the police and accosted by the police. But so do we. Mm -hmm. Like, we, we are a part of that narrative as well. Like, Mm -hmm. say her name. Sandra Bland? Come on now. And, like, the hundreds of other women just like her. You know what I mean? So I feel like this is also a moment to be like, yeah. Yeah, no. Again, this character. There's so many examples of Black women in that exact scenario. So the film ends with Brianna witnessing this, like, final transformation of Anthony as Candyman. And as he's moving around the car, we see the various reflections of Candyman. It's either there or it's like in the back alley after he like kills the last cop or something. And his head is essentially like this amorphous swarm of bees. Yeah. And we see Sherman, we see Anthony, we see Tony Todd. Yeah. It's a great ending, (laughs) I would say. But yeah. That's Candyman 2.0. That's Kizzy House. It's candy, candy mandems. Candy mandem. 
with the ghouls and Galdem. Oh, man. Well, okay, so this is the portion of the show where we each reveal three fun facts or interesting details from the film that we came upon as we were doing our research because we love to do our homework. Jenna, do you want to kick us off? Okay, so I'm first going to say that... I'm happy that they did a new movie because like, mm-hmm. why not? Like at this point now we can also call it like just as much as like a little franchise is like, you know, Friday the 13th and Freddy and all these types of things. But Halloween. I will say that like, I didn't like this movie and I think that's okay. Really? Yeah, I did. That's totally okay. I didn't. I will say that I really appreciate all the nuance and the new shit that they put in it. I like how they like talked about art people because honestly, like I see art people in the same way and sometimes they piss me off. So I was like, (laughs) honestly, I feel all of that. Even the way that they showed like, you know, young white youth taking on black things. Like I feel like they really, really did touch on a lot of the themes in the original ones as in the new ones. But I will say I really didn't like the actual Candyman aspect of it. I loved everything else but that. I think the CGI really took me out of it. I don't think that's a, a problem. I think like it's a new time and a new day and we can have different interpretations of things. But it just like, it just looked corny. But I love the fact that, like I will say like Will, Will was awesome. Will was awesome. Like the fact that he's like, yo, this is what I want to do. Like I want to make white people afraid to come to the ghetto so that the ghetto won't get gentrified. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. I guess that's a plan, my dude. (laughs) Like, okay. That's a really good villain. Because I was like, who is going to be the villain? What is going to be the villain in this? I'm like, what is it going to be? And I was like, that's a good way to do it. So I, I, I liked it and I didn't like it. I could say I can appreciate it. And if we wanted to watch it like once every year, that's fine. Or once every two years, that's good. But like, I'm good. But the cool things about this movie, and I think it even continues to go about this whole legend, is that actually Lakeith Stanfield was supposed to play Anthony, mm. but he turned it I down could see it. for Judas and the Black Messiah. So I'm okay yeah. with it. Like, I would have loved yeah. it either way. I think either men were a really great choice. But, like, I like how both of them, in their own right, got to do something really iconic and amazing in Black art. So I'm like, heads up for them. He got his first uh-huh. Academy Award nomination for Judas and the Black Messiah. So right? I would say that he probably mm, made the right choice. <laughs> Talked about a toss-up, right? So I was like, that's good. <laughs> also, when I was saying the stuff about, like, the Final Girl stuff, I was checking it out, and I was checking it out, and it's for real is that out of all the adaptations of Candyman, this is the first one with a Black protagonist. Interesting. Right? Ain't that wild? You're like, yeah, because the other ones are literally white blonde women, which another thing is, is like they're making fun of that with that white lady in that library when Anthony goes. Like that white lady was actually supposed to be like an image or like a recall to like white blonde women in Candyman, which was actually pretty funny. Interesting. And Clive, the art person, is actually, like, named after Clive Barker. And there's also a couple little Easter eggs about Clive Barker in this movie, which I thought was very, very sweet and appreciative 
about it. And those those are my facts that I found. Cool. Okay, so I would say that one of my favorite details from this film is the fact that in the opening credits, the firstly, the production title cards are all inverted as though you're standing on the opposite side of a mirror, which like places oh. the, the audience within Candyman's world, which Yo. I think is super cool. Yeah, it's so detailed. That's what um, that means. Like, yeah, the writing is backwards. The the images are backwards. So it's like the MGM sign, the monkey paw title card, all of that. It's all inverted. Same with the establishing shots. In the original Candyman, those were all uh, bird's eye view that allowed you to see the city layout. In the remake, it's all from a bug's eye view. So we're on the ground looking up. And we see this both in the intro and in the, uh, I believe in the outro as well. Actually, no, the closing credits are even, I think, even cooler because rather than an actual credit crawl, it's a projection onto a gallery wall that is just more film footage, which I'm a sucker for silly little things like that. Yeah. Another thing that I found really interesting was that a lot of people, like media outlets and the general public, assume that this is a Jordan Peele film. And although he's the co-writer and one of the producers, he did not direct this movie. It was Nia DaCosta. And I just want us all to put some respect on Nia's name and recognize mm-hmm. that this film is her doing. I am a fan of this movie. I think that unlike you, Jenna, and I'm sure lots of other people, I really, I wasn't taken out by the CGI I did like what they did with the Candyman lore and how they connected it to the history of the story and and rooted it in the present. You know, to each their own. Uh, Not everyone has has to like it. And the third thing that I really enjoyed about the film was that they reused locations and several other things from the original movie. So, for instance, the... Cabrini Green Complex, although the like original high-rise tower was torn down, they used the same low-rise complex that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but the sound of the crying baby <laughs> uh, from the first movie is used during the puppet show that we see while Troy is telling oh. the Candyman story. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same sound effect. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Which See, I think and, is pretty cool. And that's what makes them. That's why, like, it's like I don't like it, but I do like it. You know, like it's mm-hmm. like it's like mm-hmm. it's like a seventy-five twenty-five. You know, because mm-hmm. like all those little details and those nuanced things are really great. And then you're just like, oh man, I just can't get over this one thing. But everything else is super good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, again, reusing yeah. the baby, reusing the other things, inventing a new lore, mm-hmm. you know, because technically they just reinvented the whole Candyman complex because yeah. all well, the other stuff wasn't like before. I'm glad they did it. Yeah, <laughs> I really I'm am. For it. No, I really I really think that we needed another little boost when it came to looking at film, you're like, yeah, what happens if like we did it and we did it in our own way? Because like the original people are not associated with it. 
And the cool thing about them making it like their own and reinventing, it's kind of like they reinvented the wheel at this point because like Bernard Rose didn't have anything to do with this, nor Clive Barker. It's just like they left this to the new, the new hands to take on this baton. And I think they just realized that like, maybe this is the place where it should be now mm-hmm. because like, took your own legend, made it into a different legend, and now it's kind of like we're taking it back. I really like that. I really like that. It's it's a reclaiming of stories that center around the Black experience without centering the Black experience. Uh, yes. And it feels like this remake really centers the Black experience in a way that the original didn't. And yeah. I know that that's something that I really prioritize both as an artist and as an audience member. So I think it's just, it just solidifies my appreciation for the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Nia. Thank you, Nia. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, I think it's an appropriate moment to say how thankful we are for having our audience join us for another episode of the Ghouls and Yalem podcast. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us for the start of season two. Um, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Ghouls and Yaldem. That's G-H-O-U-L-Z-N-G-Y-A-L-D-E-M. Mwah. Yeah, dog. And like slide into the DM, send us your recommendations, like show us some love and make sure you tell all of your friends, your families, your co-workers, let them listen. Tell them about us. Let us know what black horror film you'd like us to review next as well. Ghouls and Galdem is a Bone Lace production in association with Two Skins Entertainment. Production support was provided by James Carlisle and Andy Dolgan on behalf of Toronto-based Big Bad Audio. Make sure to check them out at bigbad.ca. And our bop of a theme song was recorded by Trombotai. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>